everyone. Welcome to episode 224 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. I'm Chris and joining me is Shane. We are amateur astronomers who love looking up the night sky. And this podcast is for anybody else who loves going out under the stars. So before we get going, Shane, we have a Patreon sponsor to thank. Thanks so much, Ryan. Really appreciate uh, your contribution there. Don't know if you have anything to, uh, to add to this, Shane. Just, yeah, same thing. I'll echo your thanks and uh, thank you to all of the Patreon supporters. I think we're in the mid thirties right now. So that's amazing. Um, Really appreciate it. Yeah. And uh, I recalled, I recalled uh, Ryan and, uh, and that he had a ST80 because I think we had a exchange on the ST80 and then he had bought a a eight inch Dobsonian. So um, had some communication with him back in the autumn and uh, yeah, it's, it's uh, really appreciated to, uh, to get a few bucks thrown thrown our way as I think we were talking last week, getting some new adapters and that sort of thing for keeping the show quality good. I'm actually testing out a new set of headset. Um, I'm, I brought it into work at my workspace because um, whereas you and I only talk for, uh, for a couple hours a week, Shane at, at work, it's uh, it's a few hours a day. So um, gives me a better opportunity. I had a few hiccups with them at first. And so I didn't want to, to bring that into the show yet, but uh it's uh, like a earbud, headset, microphone combination. I think it's going to work. I think it's yeah, going to work yeah. well. So, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's better than, uh, than last week, although still a little bit of a echo or kind of feedback, but we'll see how it goes here. Yeah, I think it's because I'm using like the, an external mic and the speakers from the computer. And I think that's, I think I've kind of isolated to that. And then when I was uh, at work this week, I only did one test at work this week so far. And uh, it seemed to eliminate that. So I'm kind of hoping that um, by next week and I'll, I'll kind of have that uh, sorted out a little bit. Um, yeah, because at work I can actually use this setup and I can, uh, I can put my, like I have more room to spread out. Whereas here I have the, the microphone pretty close to where the speakers are. And I think that's, that's where it gets introduced. I just don't have anywhere else I can put it, but at work I can, I can play around with my setup quite a bit more. So uh Anyway, uh, I think we're working towards that solution. So anyway, thanks again, Ryan. But uh, how was your week, Shane? Did you see the lunar eclipse? Yeah, I sure did. Um, I was in my backyard. I had the uh, TSA 102 with uh, the bino viewer and uh, 24 millimeter pan optics in there. And I observed it for probably about 90 minutes. And it was quite uh, quite astonishing. I, I really enjoyed this lunar eclipse, maybe more so uh, than other eclipses because the, um, uh, like the color transition was very stark and mm-hmm. the redness was, I think this was the deepest, darkest red eclipse that I've ever seen. Yeah. And, and that's, uh, like a number of people at work were asking me if I, uh, observed the eclipse. And, you know, one thing I explained to them is, you know, these are not super rare events. They do happen. And, and, you know, most people or, or uh, amateur astronomers anyway, have probably seen multiple of these things, mm. um, but the, the variability or what to me makes them very interesting is, is that redness and how dark does it get? Mm. What shades does it get? Because that stuff is somewhat unpredictable. So you never really know what you're going to get until it starts to happen. Yep. And uh, yeah, this one was just so deep, dark red. I couldn't believe it. And, you know, to the naked eye, it was like that. And through the telescope, it was even more pronounced. Yeah, yeah, it was extremely dark. Uh, I was chatting with Mike. Um, he was observing it from, um, you know, from the city, and I was out here at my dark site. And um, yeah, it was it was so dark. Like I could still see the moon when it was in eclipse, but um, it got really, really dark. Um, yeah, one of the darkest ones that I've seen. It must have gone through like that uh, that really dark inner part of the Earth's uh, shadow, like. You know, before even during like a total lunar eclipse where it's where it is going through, you know, um, the Earth's shadow, uh, you know, typically it doesn't get that dark. I, I was really surprised and uh, yeah, pretty excited about that. I thought it was uh, yeah, it was super cool, super cool to see. But it was interesting, you know, to talk to other people and to get uh, different people's uh, feedback. You know, I'm, I'm teaching an astronomy course uh, at this time and. Uh, had several of the attendees uh, go out and take a look and many of them were disappointed <laughs> because oh. 
because it, it, it became so dark. And, uh, yeah, it was funny. I was really excited because it had gotten so dark and, uh, and they were a little bit on the disappointed side. So I guess it, uh, it sort of all depends, uh, you know, where you're, uh, coming from exactly. So yeah, it's kind of funny, you know, just, just, just depends. I think, cause I've seen when I was younger, I, I had seen several that were quite dark and then the next set, um, it, it almost wasn't like a full eclipse, although it was like, but the, the, the moon just barely got in all of earth's shadow. And so you, you always had like a very large, um, you know, almost illuminated, but not quite illuminated portion. So, uh, yeah, I thought it was cool to see it really dark when again, I was, I was super excited. Yeah. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. It was uh, fairly nice temperatures here. It, it was mm-hmm. quite a nice evening for observing. And uh, a little bit of a treat was the space station passed by we're pretty much right overhead at Zenith. Oh. And um, so I quickly uh, put the TSA on there and um, was able to see some of the structure again, kind mm-hmm. of that central chamber and and a little bit of the side panels, but no oh, color, wow. no color. I, I've seen the color on larger apertures, but this is yeah. just kind of a, kind of a shiny white. Yeah. Yeah. I, I actually, I didn't see the, uh, the space station go by, but I, but I heard and saw some other interesting, uh, night sky events. I, I heard, uh, lots of peepers out here, like quite a few peepers, you know, like the little baby frogs when they come out in the spring and, and there was uh, a beautiful chorus of, of those on the go. And then um, one of our neighbors here, I guess, installed some wind chimes and, and kind of at just as the, the full eclipse took place, like a little bit of wind, like not wind, but just like a breeze came up and the wind chimes started going. It was pretty cool. Huh. <laughs> yeah, it was yeah, really that's neat. neat. Yeah. Did you happen to see, cause I, I don't, I looked at my watch and I, I don't recall. I, I feel like it was just after 10, but it, but it might've been at a slightly different time. But there was uh, an occultation of a star taking place during uh, during this this eclipse, and I actually st- saw a star pop out from behind the moon. Oh, really? I missed yeah. that. Uh, I may not have been observing it at that point. If it was later on, I, I missed it because I, I think I went to bed around ten thirty or eleven that night. I can't remember. Yeah, yeah, I watched the whole thing, and I thought it was later, but then I remember looking at my watch earlier, and now I, I should have written it down, but. Uh, yeah. Anyhow. Yeah. I was surprised cause I looked in and then I looked in again. I'm like, there's a star there and then boom. Yeah. It was the moon moved off and revealed the star. Yeah. It was really, uh, really surprising. And then uh, the other thing I saw, which was, uh, which was uh, quite fascinating is uh, SpaceX must've done a recent launch. Okay. And I saw 50 SpaceX satellites in a perfect row. And um, so I, I, boy, it was just, you know, coincidental that I happened to look up and I saw this very strange kind of fuzzy um, thing appear in the sky. And I was like, is this like a meteor or are we going to get hit by a comet or what's going on? Yeah. And, and they kind of just were slowly entering um, the, the region of, of the overhead sky where I was, where they, they were going to be lined up with the sun. And then they kind of sort of tra- very quickly trailed into um, you know, the darkest part of the sky and the sky that was opposite the sun, I guess, and started reflecting back. And they were pretty dim. They weren't really bright, maybe like, maybe like fourth magnitude, maybe four and a half magnitude. And uh, anyway, there was 50 of them and they were in a perfect row. So when they came in, it was like this fuzzy spot formed in the Western uh, sky. And, uh, and then they kind of just sort of almost like rapid fire BBs um, came flying out of this fuzzy spot. And then it was like that portal closed up and they transited it. And then um, as they made their way towards the East, which took, uh, I don't know, maybe like 40 seconds or so, something like that. Um, maybe a little bit longer. They uh, formed another little fuzzy spot. And then one by one, they sort of trailed in, into that and disappeared. It was, it was kind of a strange thing to see, but uh, they weren't that bright and nobody else, like I talked to a pile of people, nobody else saw this around here. So, so I don't know. Maybe, maybe I had just uh, had, had listened to too many peepers and chimes. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe. There, another little thing that I, I thought was kind of neat with the eclipse. Um, there was uh, there were, there were two stars on either side of the moon, probably at about a twenty degree angle, something like that. Yeah. And uh, they were both equidistant from the moon as well. And I it just sort of reminded me of like 
you know, if you kind of drew a line between those stars, like that would be almost perfect, you know, to, uh, like a perfect size for rings to be around, uh, the moon, similar to Saturn. Uh, yeah. So it's kind of neat just to see those stars there. Yeah. And the other star, the star that it had occulted was, uh, right between those. Oh, neat. Okay. Yeah. It was, it was, yeah, it was like, and kind of when it moved off, I was like, what, like, what are these stars? I meant to look it up, but, uh, it, almost like Orion's belt or something. I, I don't know. It wasn't Orion's belt clearly because it was uh, coming up in the uh, late spring sky, but uh, yeah, it was, it was kind of, kind of neat. Um, I felt a little bad though, because I had intended Ethan, um, who's one of our, our listeners, but has uh, one of these new robotic telescopes. He did a live stream from San Francisco Bay mm-hmm. and uh, I had intended to try to chime in and, and, and hop on that. But um I was just so taken by the eclipse and I was on the hill that uh, kind of by the time I remembered it was, it was pretty much the end of the eclipse. And, uh, and I, I also remember that I had to get up and drive to work in the morning from out here. So I was like, well, I better get to bed because I have to get up in uh, five or six hours. So mm-hmm. I just, I decided that, uh, that I wouldn't do that, but I actually did go back and uh, did two things is I watched um, sort of like the highlight reel. I, I took a look, he recorded it to YouTube and, uh, and I, and I did take a sort of a, a spin through that and kind of fast forward and watched it. And I thought that was pretty cool. He did an amazing job and certainly I will tune into his events in the future and, uh, and had it been cloudy, I definitely would have. And then, um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure what it's called, but maybe we can tweet it out. Hopefully he does more of those. I thought that was really cool and pretty innovative, uh, way, way to do some public outreach, uh, with one of these new uh, robotic telescopes. Did did you take a look at that? Yeah, I did. It was awesome. Uh, I did retweet it uh, when, when okay, Ethan great. sent it out. So if anybody's interested, it will be in our timeline. Um, yeah, really good job. And, and, you know, that's one of those, like, that's yet another extension of these robotic telescopes that I just think is so cool. Like you and I have talked a lot about how uh, how amazed we are at the like citizen science and the community around these, uh, these unistellar telescopes. Yeah. Um, but the ability to do a live stream like that for outreach is, is really, really cool. Yeah, I was, yeah, I think it's, it's neat. Um, and I know like people have kind of talked about them in a way I, I haven't used one yet. I, I would, you know, I, I really look forward to the price coming down on them perhaps because one thing I could see doing with this is, um, is perhaps like getting one like far into the future and doing a live stream while I kind of like observe it visually, right? And then like kind of communicating with people. I, I think that would be a really neat opportunity for for outreach. Um, you know, put, putting these into the hands of people is uh, is super powerful because you know a lot of the times with different events like with uh, solar eclipses or this eclipse or, or other events, um, you know, people are tuning into SLU or you know space weather, a few other. Um, sort of uh, organizations have live streamed it and uh, go through some, uh, some process of getting all that stuff set up and everything. But um, I think it's really cool that, uh, that amateurs are starting to do that. That was sort of one of the first times I I'd seen somebody just sort of uh, set up and do that and stream it live to YouTube. So, uh, you know, sort of hats off to Ethan for, for doing that and taking that initiative. I, I think he's a bit of a innovative techno groundbreaker kind of person anyway. So kind of an interesting person to connect with anyhow. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, if you follow him on Twitter, he is super active with that unistellar telescope. He logs a lot of observations and, uh, yeah, just does a ton of astronomy with it. It's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I was kind of surprised. I think he only had like, uh, like a, like a small number of subscribers. So I subscribed. So, um, I, I was one of his first single digit subscribers. So, um, other people should get on, get on the bandwagon and, uh, and subscribe. Yeah. It's pretty exciting. What, what, do you know the name of his channel? I, I don't, I just, I just followed his link. Um, okay, okay. The, the, you, yeah, the link that you sent out, um, you can just go there and then, uh, I just hit subscribe and, and became a subscriber just, just like that. And, uh, yeah, super excited to, uh, to follow him there. And, uh, yeah, cause I'm not as much into Twitter as some people, but, uh, but yeah, if, if people are, are streaming live to YouTube and, and doing other things, then uh, that's kind of how I uh, prefer to consume the format. So it's, that's right up my alley. Yeah, I'm cool. just, uh, just, oh, it's, uh, it's called Citizen Astro is yeah, uh, Ethan's YouTube channel, it looks like. So, so yeah, yeah, check that out, Citizen Astro. 
how many videos does he have? Uh, just a couple of videos right now, yeah. but I suspect just based on, uh, on what he's been doing, uh, that this will grow. Yeah, it would be, yeah, it would have been cool if we had sent it up like a little bit better. I mean, we can do this the next time if, if he's catching this I think he's, he's a pretty regular listener, but you know, what would have been cool is, is I did get on the phone with Mike and we were, te- we were, we were talking about the, the eclipse in real time as we observed it, it would have been super cool to, to get on the channel with Ethan and mm-hmm. sort of have, have that as a larger conversation. That would have been super sweet, I think. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. If that he would was, be neat. Yeah. If he was up for that, I'd be up for that just as, as an experiment. If we have another opportunity, uh, yeah, just, just throwing that, that one out, but uh, maybe, maybe he has more interesting people that he can get on than, than uh, somebody like me. All right, cool. Um, yeah. Anything else happened this week, Shane? I got a little bit of a unique eyepiece. Um, It's an inexpensive eyepiece and it's the uh, Mead series 3040 millimeter Plossel. Hmm. Um, I wanted a, like a, a 40 millimeter inch and a quarter eyepiece Mm -hmm. um, for my really long 76 millimeter, my F uh, 15.8. Okay. And um, anyway, this, uh, this series 3000 is, um, uh, it's fairly well regarded. Bill Paoloni, um, really talks quite highly of it. In fact, he might still have it, or this is one of those rare eyepieces that he sold and regrets. I can't remember, but, hmm. um, what's kind of interesting though, the reason why I thought I'd bring it up is I haven't even used this thing yet, but, um, with some of these eyepieces, particularly like recent mead plossels, um, you, you can't judge the, the eyepiece by the cover, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, because there's so many like slight variations. Um, so there's two different models, uh, that were made in Japan. So one of them has Japan stamped on, um, like the, the, uh, inch and a quarter, uh, nose of it. And if it's stamped there, it's a four element, uh, symmetrical plossal. Um, if Japan is stamped on the black casing, like on the body of the eyepiece, then it's a five element pseudo Masuyama. And there's yet another version where I think it's either Taiwan or China is stamped on it. And, you know, just to uh, designate the uh, point of origin. So, um, mine, mine is the symmetrical plossal, which is what I was really interested in. Um, but yeah, so just sort of, a, I thought it would be, I thought it was an interesting, uh, note, just, you know, if you're chasing some of these eyepieces, you, you really need to know your details about, mm. um, the slight variations, uh, on the appearance could have big, uh, differences in terms of performance or how that eyepiece was made. Yeah. Mm, interesting. I've yeah. watched the. I watched the eclipse of the real Masayama. So <laughs> there you go. There no you go. pseudo business for me. <laughs> That's right. But but you have a far more exciting purchase to talk about. Yeah, my my comic catcher, my Celestron five point five inch comic catcher arrived this this week with a, a little bit of drama. So uh, yep, yeah, I, I sensed the panic oh, yeah, <laughs> when you were I, texting me. <laughs> I was I was panicked. So I I, I had received. It wasn't originally, it wasn't scheduled to arrive until next Wednesday. So it was going to be a long time. I thought it was a little bit too long. Then I received notification on Monday that it was going to arrive that day. So I just, uh, you know, took off and went home. I was like, I got to go home and get this thing. I was really worried about it because um, recently they've had trouble delivering for some strange reason. And, uh, And so it was supposed to come like before lunch or something. And then um, I got notification that there was some sort of issue. So I called the, 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 the post and they said that, uh, oh, they put it on the wrong uh, person's truck or van or whatever it was. And they would, they would still try to get it by the end of the day. And I kind of, you know, it was like, geez, you know, like, could you try to get it here <laughs> sooner? But anyway, so I kind of waited around and worked from home. And then I got notification at about quarter after three that uh, they delivered it. And I was like, well, that's really strange because I was standing in my driveway a quarter after three looking up and down the street. And so I ran back downstairs and opened the door. Of course, it wasn't there. And then I called I called uh, Canada Post again and uh, opened, had to open a ticket. And, you know, they were like, are you sure it's not there? Were you at home? And I was like pretty happy I'd actually gone home at that point because uh, otherwise... You know, they would just, oh, porch pirates, you know, too bad, so sad kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, they, they had, I don't know where they had delivered it. And uh, so anyway, um, 
I guess they must have gone and, and gotten in touch with the driver um, and, and they actually came, pulled around about an hour later and, and dropped it off. So, so it really take it really did take all day to, to get the comic catcher in my hands. And I was really glad that I kind of, uh, you know, taken off from work to, to do that, so to speak. So yeah, it, it did arrive. I sent you a photo. What'd you think? Yeah. Super cool. Again, I love the, the color. I love, I love the, uh, font of Celestron on the side. I, uh, and that sled focuser is just so unique. It's, uh, it's like this, this telescope just doesn't make sense to me in so many ways. I can't, I can't wait to see it, you know, and and see how it performs. Like, uh, what is it? 140 aperture with a F 3.6 focal ratio. Yeah. Yeah. That just sounds incredible. So I'm excited for you to get it all working and see what it's like. Yeah. I've been uh, communicating with, uh, with somebody from cloudy nights, uh, just, just a, a, a long-term user. He's had his since 1982 and it's still, it sounds like it's still like one of his primary instruments, if not like his main travel scope, which is kind of in a way what I'm, what I'm hoping to, to do with it. Cause I have a lot of other um, like refractors and that sort of thing. And actually uh, had, had permanently loaned out my, my 80 millimeter ED um, uh, William optics to, to a, a former coworker and a friend. And uh, he was actually sending me photos from the eclipse. So I guess if he's using it, I'm, I'm good with that. If he's kind of really starting to, to get some use out of that scope, then I'm just going to leave it in his hands. So uh, mm-hmm. I was kind of looking for something that I could uh, drag around a little bit more when when I traveled. It had a little bit more aperture than uh, than my 50 or, or 60 millimeters. Um, yeah, anyway, so so I'm excited to try it. But kind of gone down a bit of the uh, the adapter hell. So the, the best adapter to get for it is the Celestron Comet Catcher adapter from 1982, but you can imagine how difficult um, this sort of adapter is to, to locate. So the, these adapters were used in it for astrophotography, um, but you don't see them. I think in all my searches, I, I've seen like half a dozen come up. So what ended up buying Shane was the, uh, there's a batter um, uh, 36.4, which is the opening threaded opening to T2. And so I bought that and then I was going to buy a, a T2 eyepiece holder. Um, but I had to buy felt because the, you can't get rings for it either. And there's a tripod adapter on it, but I'm not a big fan of just sticking on a tripod um, pan head. I want to put it on my rings or want to put it on my alt as. Anyhow, I uh, had to get rings fashioned. So I bought a pair of standard 6.3 inch rings, but I got to step them down with thicker felt. So I bought thicker felt from Scope Stuff, who are who are awesome to deal with. I got to do a shout out to them, and uh, they make the right size felt to take those rings uh, down to the size that fit the uh, that fit the comic catchers. So I ordered a set of those. And when I was on the Scope Stuff website, I saw that they had a T2 to SCT adapter that should fit. Um, what I've created so far. So I ordered that adapter as well. So I'm going to put one adapter in the ticket to T2 and then put an adapter in the ticket to T2 to SCT, which I just couldn't find an adapter to go 36.4 to SCT. So, and these adapters aren't expensive. They're around like 20 or 25 bucks each. So, uh, you know, maybe, maybe there is an adapter out there, but uh, uh, who knows? So anyway. That that's that's my plan so far. So then I just have a couple more pieces to get. I, I should be good to go. But uh, yeah, it, it's going to be like uh, probably another month or so getting getting this the way I want it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's really nothing like that telescope made anymore, is there? Um, not not exactly. Like Mead made some Schmidt Newts for a while, and there, there's quite mm-hmm. a few around. And the price on them is pretty good. They made a six, an eight, and a ten but they were fairly heavy. I think the six came in at 13 pounds. So one of the advantages of the comic catcher is that um, it's very small and fast. So it's uh, it's a five and a half inch scope, but it's only F 3.6, like you said. And then um, it weighs only six pounds. So it's really light. So you can mount it on a variety of different things. A lot of people say it's like the poor man's um, Takahashi Epsilon. Right? It's, okay. Okay. It's sort of, it's sort of the joke with it, but uh but yeah, those ones just had standard um, tubes and focusers from from Newtonians, and and they, they, they it was a little bit more of a standard setup. Whereas this one has 
um, the sled focuser. And the way it works is that the uh, secondary holder and the secondary mirror and the secondary stock and the focuser uh, draw are all one working unit and that goes back and forth to, uh, to get focus um, you know, in, inside the tube. And what this does is it allows for a huge range of focus. Like the focus range on it is like, this will focus anything, right? Like with a couple of adapters, you can focus, there, there's no eyepiece that won't come to focus in this. And you can focus a variety of different cameras and people put night vision eyepieces in it a lot of the time now. So wow. it, it's hugely, it's uh, hugely adaptable. And if you can find them for the right price, like this one was 250 Canadian, which would come out to about 200 bucks American. Um, I think that I think it's a good price for it. It's it's kind of dinged up. It's it's a scope that's been well used, so that uh, that hopefully is a good indicator of uh, of a well performing scope. It typically is, you know, it's a almost a forty year old telescope, and if it was still in pristine condition, one might think ah, it just didn't work that well. So, kind of hoping, uh, yeah, with, with maybe a little bit of help from uh, from you and Mike, might be able to to get the optics aligned properly and uh, yeah, be able to to get some good images out of it. Yeah. Yeah. I see that Dave Trot has a, a YouTube video. Yes. Um, I'll have to watch that after the podcast. Yeah. I, I love Dave's videos. Yeah. He kind of goes over it briefly. It's a pretty short uh, video. I'm not sure how much he, he used the one that he, he bought. His looks like it's in very pristine condition. Mine has, uh, you know, like a little bit of dust in it and a lot of little scrapes and bruises and that sort of thing. And somebody uh, fixed uh, one of the zero power finder bases to it and replaced the one of the screws for the, uh, for the corrector lens, um, you know, thing, things like that. It has a bit of character and, uh, yeah, I don't mind it so much. And just, just, I can't wait to, uh, to actually get it running. I kind of had hoped to bring it out here, but when, when I got up yesterday, there was snow on the ground. Oh, oh, <laughs> uh, you had snow at your house. Yeah. Yeah. I, I took a photo of it. Yeah. There was, uh, like a pretty good, moderate dusting of snow, not like a centimeter, but, uh, yeah, like a few millimeters of snow were, were still on the ground from, uh, from a pretty good little, um, yeah, snow squall that came through uh, the night before, which is, mm -hmm. which is unusual, though not heard of, not unheard of for here. And, uh, yeah, I got a photo. I figured you, you probably had the same in your yard, but I guess not. I, I should send you the photo of it. It's, it's interesting. It wasn't hail or anything. It was, it was a little bit of a, a snowstorm we had the uh, night before last. So, yeah. Yeah. We, we had the snow, but I think most of it melted on contact. There's a little bit of, um, sort of slushy sleet maybe on the deck, I guess the next morning, but, uh, that was all that I saw. Um, but yeah, the, you know, here, the May long weekend, which is right now when we're recording is infamous with rain and, or a little bit of snow. Um, yeah. and, and, you know, the irony there is this is this weekend marks like the opening of provincial parks and cottage season. So everybody's trying to get outdoors and inevitably the weather, we always seem to have at least like one really bad day <laughs> of weather this weekend, but, yeah. but I think the forecast is looking pretty solid yeah. for this week, yeah. which is exciting. Yeah. It gets back up in, in the end of the twenties or something. So uh, yeah, I think today it's supposed to be 16. So, but yeah, it was, it was a little chilly out here. Yeah. Yeah. We stayed out here last night and uh, yeah, it was a little cold, but uh, yeah. Yeah, it's all good. All good. So, uh, yeah, and uh, had an email from Wade. He was uh, expressing his concern for me using uh, two-inch eyepieces uh, in the telescope. But, uh, yeah, I, I'm not – and he he said, like, you're a refractor guy, so you might not know some of the stuff. And, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I'm more of a refractor guy and, and kind of just sort of feeling my way around. I'm not sure if these adapters are going to work. I'm not sure how – how the two inch eyepiece setups that I, that I hope to use are going to work. So yeah, I'm kind of just sort of feel, feeling way through it. It's going to be some, uh, some experimenting for sure to, uh, to get things going the way that I want. So, but yeah, thanks for the email. And I think I had a couple other people write about uh, a couple different things with the scope. So yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's going to be a bit of an experiment. So yeah, I kind of, kind of expect to have a few more hiccups and hurdles uh, along the way, but, but it'll be fun. And I think I got a good price on it. I didn't want to spend too much money and, Sometimes they can go for, in my opinion, too much money, and uh, and uh, yeah, it should should be interesting to to play around with. I think you'll enjoy uh, seeing it as well, Shane. It's a it's a neat piece of gear. Yeah, I'm super excited. Um, again, f three point six with 140 millimeters of apertures is uh, very intriguing. I can't wait to see it perform. Yeah, and the and the the users of them that I've that I've spoken to, many of whom have have been using it for decades, sometimes 40 years or close to it. 
they they say that it's it is just a spectacular little wide field scope and i like wide field observing so this field feels like a like a telescope that i that i should just uh, just own and it and it will go on i think virtually all the mounts that i have so uh yeah i'm, I'm pretty excited it actually felt a little lighter than i than i thought it would it was surprisingly light weighs exactly the same weight as my uh, takahashi 100 millimeters so um but it's uh it's only about two, it's only 19 inches in length. And, um, one thing I wouldn't mind doing with it hopefully is, you know, as we start traveling more again, I, I would like to be able to travel with it. And, uh, and I, I talked to somebody about that as well. And they said, yeah, it's like a perfect little travel scope because it, it fits pretty easily in, in, uh, like a standard large suitcase and, uh, you can put it on a tripod. So, yeah, there's a lot of a lot of different things you can do with it. So, but yeah, um, yeah, I'll have some updates coming up, and uh, yeah, and uh, we're we're planning a, a bit of a trip. We're going down to Grasslands next weekend. Uh, what what are your plans for for Grassland Chain? Well, um, I'm off on vacation the entire week, so my wife and I always take this week off to plant the garden and just do some general yard work. So mm. I will do that. Uh, but it also affords me some flexibility with when I can go to grasslands. So, um, my plan is to go for two nights mm. and I will try to pick the best two nights based on the forecast. So, yeah. and I'll target more towards the end of the week to get closer yeah. to the moon, of course. Uh, so right now I'm sort of wavering between Thursday night, Friday night or Friday night, Saturday night. Yeah. Um, you know, based on current forecast, I, you know, I th think I'm leaning towards the Thursday night, Friday night, but we'll see how that, you know, goes it, th this far in advance. Like, you know, you really can't trust a weather forecast for astronomical yeah. purposes, much beyond 24 hours out. So yeah, <laughs> so really hard to, to nail this down definitively. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. I think, uh, Mike is going to join us and Peter is going to join us and, uh, and I think I had some interest from people that take my class before to, to join us. And then we'll have, uh, you know, uh, probably a hundred or so people from the public join us. So yeah, it should be, uh, it should be pretty fun times. I, I hope. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. It'll be nice to, to be out there and yeah, I just can't wait to do some observing. Yeah. Yeah. It should be good. I kind of had originally hoped maybe I'd have the, the comic catcher running by then, but, uh, I think I'll be doing good to have it running properly by the, uh, by the July end of July date over in West block. So, yeah. um, but I, I, I hope by that point I, I do have it running and, and can bring it down and, uh, and mount it up and, uh, yeah, well, then we can take a look uh, through it under, under the really dark sky. So I'm really kind of curious to see if it will run well against my, my refractors. So yeah, we'll see what happens. Had some emails. Shall we read a few emails? Yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. Yeah. Do you want to read the one from, uh, from our good friend, Eric? Yeah. So, um, Eric, uh, you know, he's sent us multiple emails and I, I think the, uh, the most famous Eric, uh, uh, you know, communication was when he, uh, had the visual observation of the James Webb telescope on New Year's mm -hmm. Eve and sketched it. Uh, that was incredible. Mm -hmm. um, so anyway, Eric says, uh, hey, Chris and Shane, great episode on reflectors last week. Uh, last year, I upgraded to the scope of my dreams, a used 17 and a half inch discovery trust daub uh, with full guiding and go-to capabilities. Nice. Um, I was cautious when purchasing the big daub because I was very familiar uh, with the risk of being overwhelmed by the task of hauling it to the car, setting it up, tearing it down and hauling it back into my closet. Uh, in the first few months of owning it, <clears throat> excuse me, I made a goal to condense the gear into as few trips uh, to the car as possible. I don't care how heavy it is. Uh, at my age, this is not a factor. Uh, maybe in another 20 years, uh, it will be. But for now, the only thing that matters is how fast I can load and unload the car. Uh, I have it down to five trips in and out of the house, which is only a few steps from the front door to the car. <clears throat> so uh, rocker box, mirror box, uh, upper tube assembly with secondary and focuser, uh, bin with accessories, eyepieces, sketching book. And then the final uh, bit here is the truss poles and ladder. Uh, no big deal. Just roll the sleeves up and get it done. Boom, boom, boom. <laughs> Uh, I back the car up to the back door of our building and the car is loaded in five minutes, uh, drive out to wherever, uh, the scope is fully set up and collimated in 20 minutes. I try to improve the setup efficiency every time, uh, a good trick I learned this winter, uh, set the mirror box outside on my patio in the morning before work. Uh, this allows the mirror to cool all day. 
so that it gets a massive uh, head start and is already cooled when you set up. Uh, big dobs are not for everyone. Uh, you have to be quite strong to haul them around, especially if you're solo most of the time. But providing that you have the strength, the actual setup time can be just as fast or even faster than a much smaller setup. Mm -hmm. uh, also, an interesting comparison from last night, uh, we had my 17 and a half inch reflector next to a six inch uh, Celestron uh, refractor. And uh, uh, we turned both to the double, double and Lyra and did a side by side comparison uh, with a six and a half inch off axis mask on the daub, fully unobstructed. Uh, the view through the daub was significantly sharper and with better contrast and resolution than the six inch refractor. Uh, this was a very surprising result. Uh, I'm sure the result would vary between refractors and reflectors of varying quality, but it mm -hmm. demonstrated that a reflector with quality optics can also perform very well for planets and double stars, mm -hmm. uh, except that it will never fit in your pocket. Uh, great episode. Hope you can watch the lunar eclipse tonight. Um, yeah, you know, thanks Eric for this email. Um, I really, you know, you and I are refractor guys. We mm. certainly have a bias towards that, you know, type of observing. So it's great when we have somebody chime in, uh, that mm -hmm. uses, you know, reflectors or, you know, uh, any other kind of telescope and, and just walks us through their process yeah. and, you know, how, how they're successful using that stuff. So I really appreciate, you know, somebody with a big reflector, uh, uh, you know, just telling us what they do and their experiences with it. Yeah, it's it's pretty cool. I don't know about you, Shane, but I've I've spent some time looking through. Uh, a friend had a 16 inch, and I think I, for, I forget how big his off axis was. I feel like maybe it was six or not quite six inches. Like you have to make it so that it's it's a circle. And so thinking about the reflector, you have the spider veins, which are usually um, basically like a big plus sign. And you have to, you know, insert your off-axis mask, like it's basically a, a circle with a hole to fit in between your spider veins. Now, I forget, my, my friend had made it like sort of the maximum size of 5.7 inches or something like that. But yeah, it was spectacular. And one thing, uh, it's, it's a really big advantage. So let's just say with a, with a larger dog, it can be difficult to achieve. Um, in, you know, it's possible, but it can be difficult to achieve like a really good figure on the mirror, especially if you're using like a you know, um, you know, one of the, one of the older mirrors or something like that. Um, but anyway, even, even if it's just a decent, my friend's scope was a pretty good one that he ground himself, but they, the off axis mask, like increases, um, like your wave front air, like, or, or, or it improves the wave front air because you're only looking through a small piece of the, um, of the mirror. Right. So, so you're really reducing the, any kind of the optical, um, aberrations, that might be remaining in, in the, in the reflector uh, mirror surface, um, which all of them will have to a certain extent. Some mirrors are, are better than others. And uh, what, he, what my friend had done is he even rotated the mirror. Like he had done like um, some optical bench testing and figured out like the best spot on the mirror to, uh, uh, to have his mask sit on. And uh, yeah, the views were absolutely spectacular um, through it. Yeah. I remember doing that a few nights on like, uh, like Jupiter and Saturn and that sort of thing. And, yeah, it's sort of like the best uh, five or six inch telescope that uh, that you could ever get. It's uh, it's really phenomenal. So that's very cool that Eric's doing that. Yeah, you know, and and certainly setting up a seventeen and a half inch reflector is no easy. Well, I shouldn't say it's not necessarily easy, but you know, it's time consuming. There's a lot of components to it, but it's probably really no no more extra effort than a six inch refractor. <laughs> you know, because a six inch refractor by itself is quite large. Uh, yeah. You need a substantial mount, a substantial tripod. So, you know, you're making a, a whole bunch of trips with the refractor as well. So, you know, it, it, they're probably more alike than they are not alike. And in that case, you know, with the 17 and a half inch reflector, you have the option of just taking that mask off and having, you know, a telescope that can go super deep. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Thanks, sir. Uh, shall we move on to the next email? Sure. Yeah, maybe I'll read it. Uh, Clint in Idaho sent us uh, sent us a note, and uh, he actually sent us a, a photo as well of the lunar eclipse. And uh, Clint said, I, "I had to send you this this picture. It was just through the eyepiece with my phone, but I loved how the moon looked next to the trees and the light background. The moon came up before it was dark, and the eclipse was just getting started. So yeah, I was kind of in in the same boat and uh, had a somewhat similar view because." I was actually watching the moon rise over a hill here 
Um, however, I took some photos of it. My photos are nowhere near as beautiful as Clint's photo. It's the, this photo sheen is spectacular, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's really neat. Like it's twilight. So the sky has that sort of Navy blue tone to it. And then uh, a portion of the, the moon that's in eclipse really just blends into the background color of that yeah. kind of Navy blue. And, you know, you have some pine trees on the hill that are in the frame, basically yeah. touching the moon, which makes the moon look so much larger. Like I, I find whenever the moon is close to the horizon and you have, um, you know, some terrestrial features um, that, that are kind of in your field of view the moon just looks so much larger, you know, and, yeah. and it's like, it's almost like you have bionic eyes, you know, that you can sort of see way more of the moon than you normally can. Cause it just seems so much bigger when it's just an optical illusion. Yeah. And did you notice like, um, down sort of at the bottom of the trees, I don't know what it is. It, it could just be like an optical artifact or, or I don't know what this is. Maybe, maybe it is mist or something. It almost looks like there's mist in amongst the trees. Uh, I don't know, but somehow that just, for me, it just makes the shot somehow that um, there's like this mist in amongst the trees. You get the sense, like, you know, sometimes you get like a bit of that condensation forming um, as this, as, you know, as night is, uh, as coming on, you know, and, and the atmosphere is reaching like the dew point, you get a lot of this mist forming and you really get that sense that, that that's what you're seeing here. And with those trees, kind of some of them in front of the moon, some of them not with, with the moon in that blue background and sort of blending in. Um, and with that mist, this, you know, it's such a, it's such a neat photo. Um, it's just hyper real. It almost looks like, you know, if you showed that to somebody, um, they might say, oh, that's Photoshop. That, that can't be a real photo. And then the fact that he just took it through the eyepiece, I, 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 I like I said, I was taking some shots. My shots are really terrible. Like I wouldn't like, compare to this, this, this shot is spectacular considering it's just through the eyepiece shot. Really, really great work there, Flynn. Yeah. Yeah. It's quite nice. Yeah. And then he said, uh, I took more photos throughout the night, but none of them were as impressive because it was darker and the details did not stand out as much in the phone. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. And I kind of ran into that too. So clearly um, maybe there was some luck involved in that too. And, uh, but regardless, uh, thank you so much for sharing. This is like, I almost want this to be like our new photo or something. Do you know what I mean? Cause we have the, we have a similar photo that I think you took. I really like this one as well. This could be like uh, like a different uh a different version of the actual astronomy photo or something. I don't know. Yeah, it's really nice for sure. Oh, just wicked. Um, and then Charlie wrote, he wrote us this email on the, uh, on the little binoculars. What did you think about this? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that these little binoculars are awesome. So I think it's cool that, you know, he went out looking for some. Yeah. Um, do you want me to read this one? Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. I think it's fairly, uh, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Go yeah. for it. Uh, so he says, Hey guys, I have heard you mention your two by 50 binoculars several times and went looking for them. Uh, the closest I could find are, uh, there's a Kasai trading three by fifties, which have a 17 degree field of view, uh, cause, uh, two by three or sorry, 2.3 by forties, uh, mm -hmm. which are 28 degrees. Uh, then Astro Hutech, uh, slash Hinode has a 1.8 times by 40 for, mm -hmm. And he's got 24 to 30 degrees. Mm -hmm. And then Orion has the two by 54s, which are 36 mm -hmm. degrees. Mm -hmm. um, so he goes on to say, I have a Nikon Monarch 8x42 that I got for birding and a Canon 15x50 uh, IS that I got for solar observing. Uh, the Nikon rarely goes out anymore and the Canon is too heavy to keep hanging on my shoulders. Uh, I would consider these for observing constellations, uh, without having to star hop to see all the stars, uh, but without seeing their spatial relationships with each other due to my present limited field of view. Mm -hmm. uh, you guys have better skies, even in your backyards than I do anywhere I can get to in New York city. So I'm wondering if I will benefit from one of the binoculars. Uh, I know I'm going to be gathering more light pollution, but with the brightness of the stars uh, appear to increase more than the diffuse background of light pollution, or is it a linear relationship? Uh, of the binoculars I have found, I am leaning towards the Orion since they claim the widest field of view. Although reviews indicate that only the center of the view is usable, but that it is probably due to the optical design and would be true for all of them. Uh, when I look at the cost slash field of view of the Orion, it is also the most cost effective, although the most expensive. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. Um, are there other ultra wides that I haven't found that I should also be considering? Mm-hmm. Um, the eclipse was pretty much a bust here due to heavy clouds. The plan was to image it at five minute intervals with my bridge camera at 600 millimeters. Uh, effective and combine the images in a stop motion video. But by the time the moon showed itself through a less dense gap in the clouds, the eclipse had progressed so far that the moon was too faint for me to even locate it with the camera. Mm -hmm. Uh, On the positive side, I got a couple of glimpses of a ruddy orange moon just after the start of totality. And that was from Charlie. Um, Yeah, you know, those ultra wides, I was always intrigued by them. But I hate I hate wide field views that aren't sharp to the edge. Like to me, yeah. what is the point? You know, if, if you make a 20 degree binocular, but you know, the image starts to degrade 50% out from center, mm-hmm. then make it a 10 degree binocular. Cause really yeah. that's what it is. Yeah. Um, so I never bought, you know, any of these wide field binoculars because most of the ones at that time, anyway, that I read about were not sharp to the edge. Yeah. But then you got onto the uh, the homemade binoculars, which is what we ended up doing. Yeah, and uh, like that Nikon teleconverter that was made for a Coolpix camera yeah. is sharp to the edge. Like those things yeah. are phenomenal. I just cannot yeah. believe how good they are. Yeah, yeah, no, it's spectacular, and uh, should use mine more um, because they're usable with glasses. So mm-hmm. I don't think any of these can be used with glasses, and uh, it's also pretty pretty inexpensive to, to make, um, from what, from what I I recall, like, uh, I I think it was less expensive than any of these options. Um, I did, did write him back and I, I recommended to look at their SV bony has one that you can get on Amazon and it's 119 bucks. So it's the least, it would, it would then be the least expensive. And I think it's more or less uh, similar to like the Kasai and, and, and some of the others. Um, I think the Orion does have the best, um, you know, sort of track record or, or reviews or, or whatever. Um, but I do think like the one that we just sort of rolled on our own, um, you know, just got the uh, schematics off cloudy nights. Actually, a friend of mine sent them to me um, after having made his own. And that really kind of got me off the fence to think, well, we, we can do this too, you know, and he sent me a few more details and in, in how that could be done. So uh, uh, it increased the chance of success. But then over time, and I, I put mine up on cloudy nights too, and describe my process and, that there's enough people in cloud and eights that have done it that uh, that rolling your own isn't too bad. How much do you think ours cost, Shane? Do you remember? Oof, um, I can't remember what the cost was of the uh, like those Nikon objectives. I want to say they were around seventy five dollars each or something like that. All I right. can't remember. Um, but you know, I, I maybe a month or two ago, um, I looked to see if you could find any more of those, uh, those cool picks, tele extenders or whatever the heck they were. Yeah. And I think they've dried up and I think the ones yeah. that are out there now are not cheap. Like I want to say they were yeah. two to $300 each, but, yeah. but you know, uh, if anybody's interested, search it out on, on cloudy nights and, um, you know, find out what, what the actual like part number is, or, or the model is yeah. of that Nikon objective. And, uh, you know, start searching. Maybe you can find some, uh, that are fairly inexpensive, but, uh, if you can, they're well worth it. Yeah. And I, I had the cool picks. I had the cool picks 950. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. I think I still have it somewhere. Um, that was my first digital uh, camera cause I used to work for uh, a digital camera website when uh, it first came out. Cool. All right. Um, anything else to add to that one? No, no, that's it. All right. Um, then we had a note here from, from Bob. Shall I read it? Yeah, uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, Bob writes, uh, hi, Chris and Shane. Congratulations um, on your getting into your third year of actual astronomy. Thank you so much for that. Um, I'm listening and uh, learning and look forward to each new episode. Um, I sometimes listen to them multiple times. Yeah, we appreciate that as well. He says, uh, last night I viewed the lunar eclipse with my Vixen SD81S um, with a 13% uh, lunar filter, it's probably a neutral density filter. Um, I found that given the sky conditions and the fact that I wanted to see the whole moon, that 56 magnification with, uh, and that was with my 11 millimeter, uh, teleview delight, uh, was the best. Although I did use my seven millimeter delight, uh, to do some exploring of lunar features during the penumbral phase. Um, it was great seeing the moon darken and finally be uh, completely in earth shadow. Um, I removed the filter as the shadow grew naked eye viewing of the completely eclipsed moon was wonderful. 
seeing had improved. And of course, the sky was uh, was very dark. Uh, I ended up my session at about 11.45 when the moon was dark and did not continue viewing uh, it come out of eclipse. As I said, the sky conditions improved and the sky was darker as the moon eclipsed. I used the time to observe M13 and Hercules and Omega Centauri, as well as split HR 5756, which was near the moon. Uh, lately, I've been doing a little galaxy and planetary nebula hunting on the previous nights. Uh, even though uh, there was some moonlight, I've observed the Whirlpool, M51, the Sombrero, M104, the Black Eye Galaxy, uh, M64. Um, they were faint, but they were there. And he also viewed NGC 2392 and the ghost of uh, Jupiter and Hydra, uh, which is called Lull 59, which um, those are some some of my favorite nebulas and galaxies as well. So that's really awesome. Um, I'm hoping that as a new moon approaches, I can get a look at them. Uh, and on nights when observing conditions aren't great, I plan to split double stars. As a result of the podcast, I have viewed Malat 111 several times and enjoy it each time. Keep up the great work. Clear dark skies, Bob. Yeah, thanks so much, Bob. Really appreciate it. Um, I'm really glad that you've enjoyed Malat 111. One thing I've toyed around with, Shane, maybe is putting in some of these other wider uh, field, uh, somewhat neglected objects, which are pretty easy to see. Um, yeah, maybe I should should try to do that a little bit more over the summer as we move into our summer um, stint of, I think, what I'm sort of unofficially calling these summer short sessions. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. No, those will be fun. Yeah, yeah, it should be good. Because I think we're going to change, maybe change the format up a little bit. We were talking about the fact that... Um, we receive a lot of amazing emails. Well, all the emails from the listeners are, are amazing. They truly are. And it's uh, it, it's just, you know, I'm so grateful at the detail that people send us in the correspondence. It's just, uh, this was like really an unexpected thing. When we were starting out with this podcast, I thought we would be grinding it out and trying to come up with episode ideas just between the two of us and, uh, and over, over time, uh, the listeners have sort of become that, that sort of third host in a way, um, which, which I really like. I don't know about you, Shane, but I, I'm just so grateful that, that we have listeners who, who send us such amazing content. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, the volume certainly is surprising, but it really, you know, it, it just keeps it really interesting for me. Just, you know, being able to correspond with other observers, um, hear what they're observing, which uh, sometimes influences what I'm observing. Yeah, uh, but also being able to ask them questions about some of the gear they're using, uh, you know, which helps form my, you know, decisions to maybe purchase or, or not purchase something, which again, I, you know, I value all of that quite a bit. So it's been great. I, I really enjoy that. Yeah. And, and we have uh, people who are more experienced than us. We have people that aren't as experienced with us and uh, yeah, it creates a really interesting uh, dialogue, both I think on the podcast and, uh, and off the podcast as well. So yeah, um, yeah, trying to to figure out better ways to to work in the listener content, and people will see that uh, in the next episode. So, with that, Shane, do you have anything else to add to uh, this our two hundred and twenty fourth episode? No, that's everything, Chris. All right, well, thanks, Shane, and thanks to everybody for listening. We are on Patreon. If anybody wishes to make a small donation, we do always uh, appreciate it and roll that right back into the show. And we're always excited to get observing emails to actualastronomy at gmail.com. And uh, yeah, we do really appreciate that. And, and we are letting the, the listeners sort of drive the boat a little bit more and uh, letting them form the content. Uh, and we hope people are enjoying that as well. Thanks again. And thanks again to everybody for listening and sending us their observations. Thank you everyone for listening and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are interested in more information, would like to contact us, or if you would like to support the podcast, check out our website, actualastronomy.com. <laughs>